I say the same thing that you do. I'm not telling you you have to go off your medicine. Like that would be so dumb of me to just say, you know what? You don't need that medicine because there was a time in my life I did need the medicine because I didn't know the other other steps, right? I didn't know the other things that I could do that could change what was happening physiologically in me. Mm -hmm. And so for me, story is such an important piece of the puzzle. And as I have clients that begin to have freedom and maybe step off of a medication or drop down on a medication to share their story, to listen to podcasts like this where people talk about story, it's just so impactful. People start to see, okay, this is someone that's not just saying, I know this stuff in theory, right? Like, and I've learned all this, you know, in my training. This was real life experience. This was your real life experience. Hmm. Hello and welcome to the Health Detective Podcast by Functional Diagnostic Nutrition. We bring you interviews from people who have conquered the trickiest of health challenges using the Functional Diagnostic Nutrition philosophy and similar healing modalities. You're going to hear from experts who have been through the ringer with their health issues and yet managed to come out on the other side. If you're interested in natural healing and or functional medicine, congrats, you are in the right place. You can always visit us at functionaldiagnosticnutrition.com, but for now, here is today's episode. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Health Detective Podcast by Functional Diagnostic Nutrition. My name is Evan Transu, a.k.a. Detective Ev, and I will be your host for today's show. And we are bringing back someone for the second time. Her name is Renee Bergman. And if you remember her episode, congratulations, because you have been listening for quite some time. <laughs> Renee Bergman was on with us in episode 61. We talked about quite a few things there. The title was Infected Teeth, Natural Chemo, and the Enneagram. I will have that in the show notes, of course, because that's where you'll get to hear her full story if that's something that you're desiring to do after this podcast. But today we are back with a slightly different topic, but also a revisiting of another topic that we had discussed quite in depth last time. <laughs> and that topic was the Enneagram. We basically were totally analyzing the usefulness of this personality typing system. And if you know me in person or know me like closely online, I'm a huge personality theory nerd. I love Myers-Briggs. I love the Enneagram. I do enjoy the big five and I almost feel weird about it because the big five has the most scientific data behind it, but that's the one I am least attracted to. For some reason, I have found so much resolution in problems in my own life through Myers-Briggs and I don't just mean the letter by letter. I don't believe the whole, oh, well, my letters can change over time. There's a whole theory behind this if you really get into the depths of it. Um, it's based on Jungian analytical psychology by Carl Jung. And he was someone who, obviously a very famous psychologist, but also theorized that we used these cognitive functions, as he referred to them, and that we used them in specific orders based on whether or not, or based on what type you were. And we can spend a whole episode on that, right? I'm not here to get into that today. That's my favorite one, but I also really like the Enneagram. And one of the problems was last time when we talked, Renee and I, at the end of the episode that we did, she was trying to type me because I had been through the tests before and I hadn't studied that one as in depth. But then 
I was stuck between two types. And so she did the best that she could, but any good Enneagram specialist or someone who works with that will tell you the only person that can give you your Enneagram type is yourself. It takes a bit of self-awareness and I was close. You know, there's nine types total in the Enneagram. I was stuck between two. And it turns out we actually got the one that I am wrong on that first episode. I learned which one I am now. My girlfriend helped me with that. It was quite obvious to her. <laughs> it's kind of funny how it, it can be a little more obvious from an outsider's perspective. And again, we, we just said this, you need to type it yourself. You're the only one that can type yourself. But getting that outside influence from someone that I trust and know I know has my best intentions and knows me very well, that was pretty encouraging. I'm like, okay, I feel like this is pretty solid. And she presented me with evidence that made me feel very good about this typing. And so now I can use this to develop myself and work on the areas of my life that need to be worked on. That's the whole point of these things. And that's why it relates to what we're talking about here on the Health Detective Podcast. Because I don't want this to sound like just some cool thing that I'm passionate about, but it's totally irrelevant to the normal content on the show. It's not exactly. Because when you are on a health journey, if you've been on one ever, maybe you're currently on one, you know how this goes. This is a personal development journey as much as it is a health journey. I could run all the labs with someone, I could give them the protocols, and in theory, they're really not that hard to go through. I mean, it takes a lot of knowledge to know what to educate someone on and, you know, kind of create a protocol for them. That takes a lot of knowledge. But in terms of like actually doing this stuff, this isn't rocket science per se. Most of it's not. I mean, it's pretty simple. You got to eat certain things. You're going to have to have a certain sleep schedule. You're going to have to maybe implement some products just to survive in today's modern world. And you're going to have to utilize some supplementation probably targeted towards you. You might not understand fully what everything is in the beginning. Fine, fair enough. But this is not particularly complicated in terms of the actions. It's like, can you just take this stuff or eat this way? And so if it's so simple, how come everyone listening right now knows in practice it is never that easy? It might be simple, but it's not easy. There are limiting beliefs. There are habits that we have. There are neural pathways that have been totally solidified almost because of things that we developed in our past. Maybe, for example, we learn to emotionally eat. And then whenever stress in life comes up, we emotionally eat and self-sabotage. Okay, so you do well maybe 25 days out of the month, and then the other five to six days is a total nightmare because there's stressful situations going on or things are happening to you. And my point in mentioning this, I hope this all makes sense because I'm about to connect it, is that again, it's as much a personal development journey, if not more, than it is a health journey. And that means we need good, solid, time-tested tools that can help us on the personal side to get the best results for the health side. Does that make sense? And yes, is the Enneagram the first thing I might use with someone when it comes to the personal development side on a health journey? Not necessarily, but I think it is a very powerful thing to have in one's pocket. And at the very least, I know you guys are going to enjoy the first part of this conversation because the passion Renee and I exhibit for this going back and forth, I 
sometimes listen to podcasts where I don't really know what the people are talking about, but they are so excited about it that that excitement is contagious. It's you, you can't click off. I want to hear more. I'm, I'm excited for them. I want to know what they're talking about. And it's working on me now where I want to learn more about the topic. I hope that is your experience in the beginning of this show. But really, our core focus today is actually the mental health side. So we are going to be talking a lot about functional medicine and mental health. We're talking about the Enneagram first. Like I said, that'll last about 20 minutes. And what we are also doing towards the end of that first part of the conversation is mentioning how the Enneagram can be linked with the mental health side of things. It'll all make sense once the episode is completed. I think you guys are really going to like this one. I love Renee. It is very fun to talk to someone I already have rapport with and that I can just bounce back and forth with for hours. Without further ado, let's get to today's episode. All right. Hello there, Renee. Welcome back to the Health Detective Podcast. How are you? I'm doing great. How about yourself? I am doing very well. I was thinking, and I'm like, the last time, because I got, guys, I'll put this in the show notes, but the last time you were on when you came on to tell your story and just how you got into this world of FDN and functional health in general, I'm pretty sure we were the FDN Thrive Podcast. Like, that's how long ago yeah. this was. That's pretty uh-huh. cool to know. Um, when you're released, it'll probably, well, I know it'll be either either like episode 180 or 181. And at that time, it might have been like 50 or 60. So that's pretty cool to have you yeah. come full circle here. That's so great. That's cool. Now, one thing I got to address right from the get-go, we're going to just jump right into it. Because for those that don't know, when we have someone on for the second time, it's when we typically nerd out on just one topic. So if you guys want to hear her story more than just the bio that I just read, then please check out that episode. Feel free to listen to it first. I don't think it's going to be necessary, but you can feel free to do that. However, we had talked about the Enneagram last time because I am a personality typing nerd. I love Myers-Briggs. I love the big five. I love, I, I don't love DISC. I think it's interesting. I'm not saying something's wrong with it. It's just, I never felt as drawn to it. And the Enneagram is something that was always appealing to me. And what we ended up doing last time is we attempted a live typing. Now, all these personality typing things, especially if it's live and there's pressure there, require some level of self-awareness. And I don't know if you recall this, but the two things we were going back, because, but by the way, um, again, you probably heard this in the bio, but in case you're someone that skips intros, Renee specializes in this. I mean, this is something that, mm-hmm. what do you even call that? I don't want to misspeak. Like, what, what is that certification or program or whatever it is? Um, I'm Enneagram certified. <laughs> it's as cool. simple as that. <laughs> I don't know how yeah. I haven't done these yet. I got to go get the Myers-Briggs one and this one. That's just be fun to do. But I remember yeah. we were going back and forth between type three and type eight. And mm-hmm. we we concluded loosely type three, because it was based on one question that you asked. I believe the question was, do you think that you make decisions more with like, um, I think you said thinking or like logic versus the heart. And I said, oh, mm-hmm. I want to believe it's like the logic, but it's probably the heart. And then so we said, okay, well, it's probably type three, but we have some more work to do. And I ended up, you know, I went through the Enneagram again, and I've done some more stuff with it. And I gained self-awareness, right? Because it also requires the person to be self-aware. You said that only the person can really type themselves. And yeah. I actually, I don't know if it's good or bad, Renee, because I think on one side, it's it's great that I would acknowledge, like the reason I thought I was type three is because of my affinity for the people. And I've had plenty of problems being self-conscious in my life. So I'm glad that I had the awareness there. But I think that was actually at the detriment of awareness for some of my other stuff. Mm. We in my immediate circle have concluded what should have been an obvious type eight, but because of my lack of self-awareness missed this. When my girlfriend Maddie took this test for me, it scored so high 
type eight compared to the rest. It wasn't even funny. <laughs> and when she read the descriptions, but she doesn't have a bias. She doesn't even, she didn't even know what Enneagram was. And I showed her type three and type eight. And she asked me, she said, are you joking? And I'm like, what do you mean? And she's like, it's this one. And she points to type eight. She's like, you don't see that? <laughs> and I'm like, wow, okay, I got some learning to do. So again, I apologize for going off three minutes. I normally would want the guests to talk, That's but I, right. this is unfinished no, I business it. here. I, I can't, <laughs> I'm glad to have you back on. And um, that's, I, I feel pretty secure in that now. I think I've been able to work through a lot of the more negative stuff. But when I look at like, admittedly, the worst of the worst for the three and the worst of the worst for the eight, and I look at where I've been in my life, it, it becomes pretty straightforward. It's like, okay, obviously the eight was more involved at that point. Yeah. You know, I'd love to hear from her perspective. How did she really see that eight? Is it because of like, you're a protective challenger, like that you really try and challenge everyone, but you also are super, um, cause you talked, you talked a lot last time about you're a people person. And so you're really for people and you want to protect them. And that's where that, you know, conversation went back and forth three or eight. What specifically stood out to her about you that made her certain you were an eight? I think, Do you know, oh, well, on the good side, there would be stuff like that, like the protective nature. And I mean, this is serious. And I don't think about how maybe not strange, but not standard this is. I love Maddie. She's a wonderful woman. And I've always wanted to do MMA. I am now doing that because I have these, and oh my gosh, you have an ability to get me to be very uh, vulnerable immediately. So for those that have not listened to that other <laughs> episode, you're probably like, what the hell? But I'm just going to go right into it. I have such extreme fantasies about what it would be like to not protect someone that I care mm-hmm. about, especially in a physical sense. If if someone hurt Maddie and it was because I couldn't protect her because of physical stature, that would probably, I would probably have suicidal thoughts because of that. Like that is yeah. my worst fear mm. to have that happen. And it's enough drive that it's pushing me. Like there's personal training right now from a boxer of 20 years. Um, I'm doing wrestling stuff. I just started with my friend. He was a state champ wrestler. Like I am paying these people decent money, money that I shouldn't necessarily yep. be spending on that because of that. Um, and then on the maybe not so favorable side, but aside, I'm, I'm willing to admit to is just the controlling nature. I mean, I have to turn it off in relationships, but it's still evident. It's not a secret. And the challenging part is so inherent that I don't think that's what I I wasn't able to recognize that before Mm -hmm. as it's almost like, um, I'm just trying to think of an example where something is so innately you that you don't even realize that it's different from other people. She's like everything. And she likes it because she's like that mm-hmm. in a sense too. But she's like, everything with you is challenging. What are you talking about? Like everything's a competition. <laughs> everything's, you know, this, that, or the next thing completely blunt. Like if I think something's wrong, it's wrong. And I don't want to act like my personality on the podcast is fake, but I do definitely tone down certain aspects very consciously oh, because yeah. I know that I'm interviewing someone and want to be respectful. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting. Eights are such lovers. They really are at their core. They have such love for those that are in their inner circle, like you were saying, like so protective. And so there's this interesting um, experience with eights because for you, you feel very loved when people want to challenge and, and spar with you and fight with you. That's why it feels really good for you to go and do that as like a physical sport as well, right? There's almost this like encouragement that comes. You're probably all like jacked up after it and like feel really like excited to do the rest of your day. 
not just from the endorphins of working out, but because you actually physically fought with someone. And that's just like a core piece of you. But at that really, really, when you start to get down into, you know, people's core emotions of why they do certain things and what has driven them, a lot of high, a lot of times childhood messages drive a lot of that. And so for eights, eights feel like it's not okay to trust or be vulnerable with anyone. And so there's this like fear. There was probably, you know, pieces of your childhood that felt whether or not they were real or just perceived, right? So like hmm. we come to our number by perception of what has happened. Now, th- there can be clear lines when people have clearly been abused or harmed or things like that. But I'm talking in like a normal family structure where, you know, you just had normal family dynamics of things happening. The way that you perceived your family and your environment is how you came to your number Um, because you learned how to defend yourself throughout life. You learned how to fight Mm -hmm. your way through, whether it's, you know, you had lots of siblings or you had parents that were always like asking you to defend why you were allowed to do certain things, things like that. Right. Mm -hmm. But then there's also this like core, like fear of vulnerability of like, what if I'm vulnerable with people and I don't actually put up a fight? Will they actually love me and just accept me for who I am? You know? And so I'm sure that's a lot of, um, maybe even how she experiences you because she's your closest person. Right. So you're, you're most vulnerable with her. Yeah. And yeah. And I mean, it's just a wonderful way to describe it. And I appreciate you saying the perception too, because I mean, I listen, my story is no secret. I've mentioned it on the podcast before mm-hmm. and childhood was not perfect, but it, I, I think that was also the thing too. I, I realized that the Enneagram was more based in kind of a nurture theory. And I just like, you know, I'm like, I don't, I mean, was it really that bad? And mm-hmm. the perception of things though was no, it was, it was terrible in a sense. And there was that lack of trust and the disconnect. And there were certain things that were hidden to actually protect me to be good. Mm -hmm. But I perceived this as, you know, why am I being treated this way or whatever? And, you know, if I do express myself, that is going, people are going to take advantage of me. Right. And that's, that's Mm -hmm. the other thing too, is Maddie has helped me actually realize these, I, I would call them paranoid thoughts where I am not it's because again when it's so natural to you i think that's why it was easier to resonate with the three because i'm like oh yeah you know i'm self-conscious yeah i I like Mm -hmm. you know being in a crowd and i'm a speaker i'm a podcast host too like of course Mm -hmm. i love this so sure it must be a three but the stuff is so natural that sometimes you miss it i automatically assume that every single person i'm interacting with is bad until proven otherwise. It's not good until yeah. proven otherwise. They are out to get me. I cannot trust this person. People mm-hmm. are bad. They are going to try to take advantage of me when I can, when they can. I mean, it's just, and it's so innate to me that I don't even think twice about it. And she's realizing like, hey, just so you know, um, not everyone when they walk into a room is physically sizing up everyone to see who's dominant. Mm-hmm. They're not focused on these power structures that you're obsessed with and nor do they not trust everyone. That's not the rarest thing in the world, but it's also not, everyone else thinking that way. I'm like, Oh really? <laughs> you know, yeah. like you gotta have I know. Yeah. So, cool. Yeah. And you know, I, I, I love that you've learned a lot about that. It's probably changed your guys dynamic as well. Has she figured out what number she is? Uh, she believes, and we believe that she's a nine. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, you know, I think what's really beautiful about the Enneagram is Number one, it doesn't pigeonhole you, right? There's lots of fluidity within every number. There's different subtypes of every number. There's lots of, the point of it is to help you understand who am I and how do I navigate within the world 
so that I can have a better lens to actually integrate into relationships and to be able Mm -hmm. to move fluidly and also recognize that not everybody else manages life the way that I do. Right. Like, I think that was one of the biggest light bulb moments for me of like, even with my husband being like, wait, you don't think about it like this. How is that possible? Right. Like you just, that's what your mind and your world are every day and all day long. Um, But then also the Enneagram has this amazing power to really help you tap into more of that um, like mental health component of Mm -hmm. what are the areas of my life that I'm just really like kind of deficient in, right? Mm -hmm. Like if, if you're always feeling like you need to fight, what were some of those wounding messages that were communicated to you and how do you use that to really change your physical health, right? As FDNs, we're always thinking about you know, what are the, the things that are coming at people that are stressors that are changing their physical health? And I think you talk about this all the time. You're really, you're really articulate in your story and in your experience of mental health and how much changing your physical health changed your mental health and how those Mm -hmm. have to be synonymous. Right. And so I love that sometimes people feel like, um, they need to like go immediately to a counselor and, figure out all this childhood trauma. And maybe that's true, right? Like, I mean, I experience that a lot of clients. I'm sure you do too. But maybe they just need to figure out what made them, what perceptions in their world made them who they are today and how do they navigate through that to kind of get to this better understanding so that their mental health can flourish. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Well, that brings us to the topic of the day. Now that I've just wasted 13 minutes of the audience's time, um, we're talking about. (laughs) I know. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We're talking. It's weird though because I normally I feel like I'm good at hey, let the guests do their thing. But man, you get me on personality theory. It it's gone. Yeah, it is gone. So I hope they listen regularly because then they'll know I'm telling the truth. But uh, with this said though, there actually is a relevance to this because we're talking about mental health today. Mm -hmm. And this is something that you happen to specialize in. And I know that there's more components with how you approach mental health, but perhaps Mm -hmm. it's only fair at this point to ask, okay, how can, for someone like you who wants to help people with the mental health side or does help uh, people with the mental health side, how is the Enneagram relevant? And we don't necessarily have to explain the whole thing because, again, they could listen to the first episode for that. But, yeah, I'm Mm -hmm. curious. Yeah, you know, I think um, when you first dive in, when FDNs first dive in, we always want data, right? We're always looking for the data. That's a big part of being an FDN is running labs and seeing all these labs and seeing you know, the dysfunction of the gut through the GI map and seeing the Dutch test, seeing all of that information. What's what you can't do with a lab is look at what are the components of someone's thoughts and the way that they navigate throughout the world that is placing impact on their body, right? Like I can't give someone a lab that looks at their blood or looks at their gut or looks at any of those things to tell me they feel like they're small moving throughout the world and that they have always had to try and swing to fight in every situation Mm -hmm. or that they feel like if they speak up, they are being too much of a bother to people. Or if they choose to be serious instead of fun, that people won't actually want to engage with them, right? Those are things that you can't get from looking at a lab But that's such an intricate part of who we are, right? Mm -hmm. That's so much of where our stress comes from. When we talk about stress being such a huge component of dress, 
we have to figure out how do we really help clients get to the nitty gritty of where that stress comes from. So of course, there's the physical stresses, stressors of, you know, gut infections and hormone imbalances and, you know, job stress. But what about their mind stress? What about their functionality with the, how they interpret their spouse talking to them or going to their kid's school and how people receive them? That's such an invaluable piece of people's puzzle. And so I think the Enneagram is such a great tool if, you know, I'm not, I'm not a licensed counselor. So mm-hmm. it's not my job to write, like there's, there's a space and a place for people to go and seek out counseling and really deep dive into maybe childhood trauma. But when they're working with people like us, like FDNs, oftentimes they still have to talk about some of those pieces in order for the puzzle to all come together and see like full flourishing. And so the Enneagram is this really accessible tool. It it breaks it down in bite-sized pieces for people. It helps people understand, oh, there are more people that function like I do. Um, It helps them see like ways that they got there and ways that based on what's happening in their life, ways they interact, right? So in times of um, non-stress, they go to another, uh, a different number than their primary number. So like I'm a seven, I go to a five when I'm healthy, but when I'm stressed, I go to a one. So as a seven, I'm really like low key and chill. And I'm, I always bring the fun to a party, but put me in a stressful situation. And all of a sudden I am black and white as all get out. My, I mean, my family all of a sudden will be like, what happened? Why is mom freaking out right now? You know, because I'm being very, you know, methodical about, I need you to do it this way. And Mm -hmm. there's only one right way to do it. And I need to control the situation because that's what I do in stress. Mm -hmm. Well, that's super important for me to know, right? Like that, that informs me so much in what's going to happen in my body. If I'm doing that constantly, what do we know about that? I'm, I'm just in fight or flight all the time. Right. So there's like these direct lines to helping people see when we start explaining vagal nerve work and um, the importance of really calming down before you eat. All of these tips that we give people, sometimes they don't understand where they're at in their day. And so the Enneagram provides like these really cool resources for them to have a better picture of how they navigate throughout the world and that there's other people that navigate that way, too. I, th- I think that's so cool that you're able to utilize this with clients. I mean, anyone that's listening or watching can see how excited I am about it. So that it could be a good thing to at least, whether it's with Renee or someone else or just online, like figure this out for yourself. And it could be any personality typing system. Because again, I like Myers-Briggs. Yeah. Clearly mm-hmm. the most scientifically validated as of right now is the big five. We know this. But here's the right. thing. To me, and, and people know I'm a science-based person, so they're like, how are you so attracted and obsessed with, the, attracted to and obsessed with these things that, in a certain sense, are kind of pseudoscientific? And it's like, it's not really yeah. about that. They're close. You know, they, they do work. They definitely work to categorize. Yeah. I've, I've seen poster children of each individual type at certain times. And what I have found it does for me the most is this, and I think this does relate to health and mental health, because relationships matter. It strengthens 
my ability to understand other people. Now, there mm-hmm. are certain things that I would assume all of us just can't get behind. If you're just blatantly hateful, whether that's, I mean, something yeah. ridiculous, racism, whatever it might be. Okay, no, I don't need to know your type. Like, that's something I'm going to adamantly disagree with. But if it's a political difference, if it's a different in, difference in lifestyle, if it's a difference in um, morality, around like sex. Maybe you're someone assuming this is all consenting adults, right? Maybe you're someone that believes in like, Hey, it's no problem to have 50 partners. Maybe you're someone that believes, Hey, no, I think you should only have sex when you're married and try to stay together no matter what. Uh, Those are wildly different views on life. Mm -hmm. And I have been able to accept those people, even when I disagree with them, because Mm -hmm. I start to understand them. Right. And that's why um, in Myers-Briggs, David Kiersey's book is please understand me one and two, right? It's all about understanding these people. And so where I might have been able, like as, when I was younger, for sure, it's not only do I disagree with you, it's now I don't like you because I disagree with mm. you, which is holy crap, a theme of today's world and the political climate and religious Gosh, climate and yeah. everything else. Now it's, oh, I, I disagree with you. How fascinating. Let's see why you came to that conclusion. I'm really interested in that, right? And I'm open to where my holes might be. And when you're open to someone else's opinion and then your own holes, almost, not always, almost universally though, it seems like they open up to where they can learn as well. And so you end up creating this beautiful thing um, where like, I know you and I are connected on social. I'm sure we don't agree on perfectly everything. And I feel like you're very supportive of my stuff. And I think that's amazing. That's like, that's how it should be. That's cool. And it's no surprise that you're someone that studies personality theory, because if if it's something you disagree with, you probably say, okay, well, this is why, you know, Ev might think this way or does this, but he's still Evan. And you know what? I had a great podcast with him and I like him just like I could say that Mm -hmm. about Renee, even if there was something I disagreed with. What I mean, I don't understand why that's such a concept, but I think this is what these things are very useful for. Yeah, I think so too. And, you know, I think we live in such a confusing world of even how to know what we're supposed to believe, what we're supposed to lean into, right? There there can just be um, almost an excess of knowledge sometimes and an excess of um, information overload um, because of technology and all the things that we have um, access to. That sure. Sometimes I think people need, they need some systems to sort of land themselves in like this, like these different personality typings just to kind of understand like, even how do I take in the world and how do I take in all the information that's constantly <laughs> constantly being thrown at me, right? right? Because again, that impacts us so much. You know, on the Enneagram, a type six is um, someone that can typically be a little bit fearful. They're also the people that um, are ones that um, warn everyone of, of the good and the bad of all situations of what could happen. <laughs> Um, a lot of times people are pretty political when they're sixes, but for a six, when I'm coaching a six and someone is having all this gut dysfunction and they're just constantly in distress in their stomach, I'm like, listen, you got to stop watching the news. You got, (laughs) you got to pull back because you're just an information overload of all these options and, and fearful things that can happen. And your brain is just constantly going down those roads. Now, as a six that does work and really starts to work on their own issues, mm-hmm. they're able to get healthier with that and to use it to their advantage in positive ways. Of There are people that usually lead like PTAs at schools <laughs> and say, you know, here's all the ways that we can make a school safer. And here's ways that we can make sure that children are receiving all the things that they need. So there's a lot of benefit in really seeing the downfalls, you know, 
But when you're going through a health journey, it's super important to know the things that really, really just like, you know, destroy you. So for you as an eight, like in some of your most unhealthy moments, you just constantly arguing with people was probably very, very detrimental to your soul and to your gut and to your hormones. Um, Whereas as you've learned, like you were saying, like I've learned when I'm on this podcast, I need to have control and not be as combative because this is a time to just hear from other people. That's teaching your body to calm down and have the correct pathways so that the body can operate the way that it's supposed to metabolically, right? It's just really fascinating. Hey there, folks. It is Detective Ev popping in here really quick. If you are in the Fort Lauderdale area of Florida or the Miami area, and you are going to be around October 22nd and 23rd, which is a Saturday and Sunday, Reed Davis, the founder of FDN, and myself will be down at a conference. It is called the Biohacking Congress, so there's really up-to-date, latest and greatest tools. And what's interesting is... This conference is actually kind of smaller because they do it a few times a year. It is a great opportunity to really get to meet these vendors. You can have actual conversations with us and the other people vending there. Easily, you could hit every vendor in one day. If you're there for both days, that's even better. There's tons of speakers. It's going to be a good time. I really, I like big conferences. I don't know who doesn't. It's fun to have that. It's almost overwhelming though sometimes you can't get to everything this conference is the opposite you could hit every speech you could hit every vendor and it's a really good time because you're in florida (laughs) so if you want 50 percent off to those tickets i'm going to have those in the show notes it's code fdn50 and that is october 22nd and 23rd in addition if you are listening to this episode and maybe considering doing the fdn course or you're trying to get into work like renee and i do I don't know if you know this, but the FDN training program actually allows you to try the first part of their course completely for free. No credit card is required. You go to fdntraining.com slash try FDN to try the course for free. That is fdntraining.com slash try FDN. And I will have that in the show notes as well. All right. Now back to today's episode. Right. And that was, that's exactly or precisely where I was getting this confused because I thought, well, oh, look at what I'm doing. I'm kind of changing myself to be this person on here. And it's like, well, no, I'm doing that because especially out of context, I mean, I I fully admit this. I'm like one of those people that you could destroy their entire career by taking something out of context because it's naturally I'm just aggressive and I'm blunt. Mm -hmm. And anyone that knows me knows I'm like the first person that would be there for you at 3 a.m. if your car breaks down. But the way I display things unfiltered, I I can recognize now, oh, okay, I see why other people are turned off by this, even if that's not how I meant it. Um, Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, it's loud. It's in your face. It's it's this and it's opinionated on top of it. Um, and so again, it'd be like one of those people that you could take the clip from. I mean, you, I guess you could do this with a lot of people nowadays, but it would be a spe- I would be especially prone to being that person that someone could take a clip of and be like, oh, look at what he said. It's like, well, that's not actually what he meant at all. Um, and he's, you know, getting on one of his little Evrans. <laughs> but I, I've learned that, yeah, if I'm going to do the podcast or, oh my goodness, the mental health speaking to kids, that was one of the toughest ones, right? Ooh. Because that, first of all, it requires emotional vulnerability. And I was going mm-hmm. in unintentionally almost lecturing on facts mm-hmm. about mental health at first. And the one person commented, like I'm connecting all these dots now, right? Looking back. And she said, she saw my presentation one year and then about a year later, I came back again. And she said, I just want to be honest. I don't mean it rudely. This was a lot better the second year. And I said, mm-hmm. I don't take it rudely. Like I want to improve. So tell me the why, because I don't realize what I'm doing. She's like, well, last time you gave a lot of interesting facts. This time you spoke about the things that you felt. And I'm like, 
oh, as a type eight, but like, you know, I'm kidding. But, um, you know, obviously that that's how you have to do it, especially speaking to kids. It's like, they don't, not all of them care about facts about mental health. They want to know what you've experienced too. And so that job yeah. has been the biggest aspect of the personal development, it, it, at least if I'm assuming that I'm this type, right? In the context yeah. of the Enneagram, that's been one of my biggest ways to personally develop because to be successful at it requires me to do the thing that supposedly my type fears the most, which is emotional vulnerability. Oh, and mm-hmm. by the way, we're going to talk about the worst parts and most embarrassing parts of my life that ever happened. Yeah, that's, you right. know, it still challenges me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the things that um, is really cool when you when you really deep dive further is um, understanding when you're aligned with your number and who you are mm-hmm. when you're really aligned with yourself and you're self-aware. And one of the things about the eight when they're aligned um, is that you use your intensity and power to plow a path for others that mm-hmm. can't plow a path for themselves. And that is exactly what you have been called to. And that's what you've been doing. You, you have awesome. seen your mission as how do I get out into these schools and help these kids that are having all these mental health issues? And there's lots of facts for them to understand. Like, you know, that's kind of where you wanted to start. But as soon as you started to bring that vulnerability piece, that one was exactly spot on. You started to use your intensity to plow a path for them to figure mm-hmm. out how do I really realize my vulnerable self? and reach out and get help. Sure. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. Very cool. I think that was another thing that, um, Maddie saw. And I mean, I recognize it myself, right? It's like, I I read those parts where it's like, well, they'll stick up for the underdog or use their strength to stick up for those who can't do it for themselves. And I mean, even in the last year, especially as I become more educated on it, I mean, the, the one place that I constantly, uh, it's not, I'm not saying it's a high number. I'm not able to do that at this time, but it's just the effort of donating to this nonprofit that does child sex trafficking. And it was so, I was talking about it so much that Maddie, because we, you know, we didn't know each other that well at the time. She's like, we're, do you have something to tell me? Like she, she thought I was involved Mm -hmm. in that because of the passion. I'm like, no, but I, I can see it. And I'm like, how can you yeah. do that to a six-year-old, right? And mm-hmm. so it's almost like they, okay, I, I I feel this pull. It's like, I know you can't defend yourself. Cool. So I'm their worst enemy because I'll come F them up, <laughs> you know, and we'll, yeah. and we'll do that in some way or another uh-huh. because that's unacceptable. The fact that that's going mm-hmm. on in this world. And I'm sure you could do this with a million different issues. But I, when I read that, I'm like, oh, I don't do that. I'm like, wait a second. Yes, I do. Like that's, mm-hmm. and I, it's a, it energizes me. So it's actually a cool way to use that, yeah. that power in a, kind of aggressive way that people can get on board with. They're like, yes, go be aggressive against that. That's good. Yeah. (laughs) You know, don't do it against me, but do it against that. (laughs) And, you know, um, it takes organizations and all these different types of um, companies that are in the world that maybe are nonprofits or for profit. Mm -hmm. There has to be different personality types, you know, and different ways that people function. And we've experienced it. Have you ever experienced when you're like working with someone, they totally are a round peg and their job is a square hole and you're trying to fit them in and it's just like a total disaster, right? So for you, when you figure those things out, you're learning, I know how to do this just effortlessly, right? I mean, not totally effortlessly. I understand that there's like, you've had to really grow and who you are and learn a lot about yourself, but standing up for people in those ways, it just comes so second nature. And it takes someone like you to fuel and to help someone who's the CEO of an organization like that to have 
funding, right? They've got to have people that go, no, this is a justice issue that has to be pursued. Right. And when you're in alignment in that way, your body functions at a higher level and you have more capacity. That's the thing that <laughs> so- I just am always like blown away by when people think that, you know, the way that they eat doesn't impact what they do all throughout the rest of their day. It's not just like, do you feel like you're fat or not have energy? Like, sure, you don't necessarily want those things, but like, are you able to actually go and do the things that you're super passionate about? Mm -hmm. And the reason we do what we do as FDNs is to get to people to that place, right? Is to get them to a space where they go, I get to just be who I was designed to be and to seek after that with my whole heart and my whole being so they don't also feel like crap while I'm doing it or just not do it, right? There, right. A, a lot of people just don't end up doing the thing that they're really passionate about if they don't feel good. Yeah, that's so true. It is remarkable that before we got on air, I was like, well, listen, if we don't make it to the 50 minute mark, because it's the second episode, no big deal. And here we are at, at 30. And I'm like, all right, I'm thinking about part three. Uh, no, but seriously, I, I know we, we obviously have integrated this with the mental health side today, but there, there's other aspects. And I'm I, I would imagine that just about anyone that listens to a podcast like this appreciates what we've been saying. Um, but I also want to yeah. relate it to some other things too. And I know your husband's been working on stuff and we wanted to talk about that. So I actually, again, especially as the second episode, I love for you to take this wherever you want to right now. We're talking about mental health. What are some other things that you would like to mention today? And it could be just about anything that we do as FTNs. Yeah. So my husband just recently launched his own company called Meta Story Health. And um, he is getting a master's in counseling. And as he, he really is like my primary um, employee for my business for Megaphone Functional Health. And so um, as he has watched and grown so much, and I have, you know, just told him, no, you can't do that. That's bad for your gut. Don't do this. Don't do that. All the things that happen in a marriage when (laughs) you do what you do as an FDN. (laughs) He's learned so much about how much those two worlds are so crossed over and watched how much I'm referring clients out to need mental health um, uh, coaching or counseling. And so we've begun to really look at how do these two worlds really converge together and not um, ignore one another, right? So one of the things we love about functional medicine and functional the functional approach is um, we're not zeroed into one thing. We don't diagnose. We don't we don't say that we're like a specialist in this one necessarily necessarily um, focused area of the body. We look at the body as a whole. Well, if we're really, truly looking at the body as a whole, we can't take this mind mental piece out. And so mm. as FDNs, um, I'm really passionate to keep pushing on all of us to either find referrals, you have great counselors, um, find someone that you partner with that you're working with. So that's a big part of what we're starting to do is like, what are some programs that we can create for people where they're doing both worlds? They're right. truly pursuing their mental health and maybe, you know, getting to some of the really deep, dark pieces that need to be dealt with alongside dealing with all the functional um, diagnostic pieces that we as FDNs do. Hmm. And how do we combine dress with a mental health approach that really helps people to have full flourishing and not feel like they're being parsed out 
you know, that that's a big part of what clients say when they come to us as FTNs is like, I've seen this doctor and this doctor and this doctor and this doctor didn't talk to this doctor. And, you know, my health has just felt confusing. We, we don't want that, right? We want it. We want people to feel like they have a whole um, system. And so I'm, I'm really hoping that the mental health profession continues to see how important it is to integrate in functional um, approaches for people's gut health and hormone health to truly actually see the change that they're seeking when they're dealing with people that have major trauma and are needing to deal with past hurts um, or stuck hurts or are dealing with major weight issues that they can't get rid of because of some of the um, narratives that are going on in their minds. Right? There's just so much that the mind is responsible for and we cannot divorce it from the rest of the body. So I'm really excited about that. I, I am seeing it more and more. You know, we're starting to see more and more practices coming out with this and saying we, they, they, we have different types of practitioners that you can see and integrate. And mm-hmm. these practitioners talk about your particular um, situation and case to really bring you the most flourishing and the most um, healing. So. Sure. That's going to be a heck of a tag team. I love that you guys are yeah. uh, doing that. And I think what's cool is I, I do believe, especially right now, there is more acceptance than probably ever to this mm-hmm. idea of the functional side because it, it kind of goes both ways. Just like you were saying, you know, a lot of the clients you see coming to you from a functional perspective need the mental health side, but or the counseling side, excuse me, the traditional mental health side. But yep. similarly, when I'm going yeah. into schools, I... I I know there are so many kids out there. Not all of them relate to me. I mean, some are getting abused at home. It is insulting for me to suggest right. the idea that, oh yeah, you should eat a little better. That, that'll that fix it up for you, Jimmy. No, right. that's ridiculous actually. Right. But at the right. same time, Renee, I mean, you and I both know damn well, there are millions of kids out there right now and adults like myself who, okay, life's not perfect. I get that. But it is so clear that my mental health stuff and other physical health stuff came long before any of the traumas of my life. Mm -hmm. Like I would go as far as to say the majority of my mental health or sorry, the majority of my trauma came from unresolved mental health issues, not the opposite way around. And we, I, I think there's more receptivity to this than ever before. And with that, I don't know if you saw this, you probably did that whole thing that came out with the SSRIs, which amazingly seemed to just get swept under the rug by the media pretty quickly. But it's like, Oh, by the way, uh, yeah, those aren't nearly as effective as we once thought, and they weren't really that great to begin with. Now, I'm not – just in case it's someone's first time listening, I apologize to sound like a broken record for re- regular listeners. Mm-hmm. I'm not against medication at all. In fact, right. I think there's people that greatly benefit from it. I think I actually mm-hmm. piss off functional health practitioners sometimes when they yeah. hear me one-on-one how accepting I am of medication because they're like, yep. well, do you really think a kids should be doing that? I'm like, Maybe not, but I know the worst option is a kid that's not talking about this at all. So I don't know what their particular treatment plan is, but I know the most dangerous thing is a kid that suffers in silence and is not getting any help of any sort. I'm nearly positive of that. And I'm um, with you on that. Yeah, but we saw this come out and it's like, okay, our first line defense, which really has been these meds for the last few decades, oh, you know, it might not really be as good as it as we Mm -hmm. thought. And so as more people become aware that that came out. I think they're going to seek out these alternative means. I think the toughest part, and you correct me if I'm wrong here or contribute to this in any way, I think the toughest part is people want to believe it. Like I say this and it sounds good, but it's very hard 
for people to conceptualize the idea that the panic attacks that they experience or the bipolar episodes can have something to do with their physical health and that it can be so calculated with labs and precise, uh, not precise, um, it can become precise with labs, like the treatment options that they actually have an opportunity to resolve these symptoms. And I just say that as someone who's done it and seen it in others, it's very hard to get them to conceptualize that. Do you find that probably to be the case in your work? I do. I think this is where story comes is so important, right? And I hmm. think You've probably experienced this. I think people sharing their stories is such a a crucial part of helping people come around to it. So I share my personal story of being on um, antidepressants for years, and then I had to be pulled off um, in a a moment of time because I thought I had Steven Johnson syndrome, which is where all your skin peels off and you like burn from the inside out. It's awful. I didn't didn't burn it. Yeah, it, it can happen. People can be on a medication for a long time and all of a sudden your body becomes um, like allergic to it. Hmm. But the only way to know if it's going to fix it is to pull you from whatever medication you're on. So I was petrified. I had been on an antidepressant that was actually for bipolar. So I had been diagnosed bipolar. Now hmm. going back and looking at who diagnosed me with bipolar, I never should have had a, a bipolar diagnosis. I, it just was not accurate. I'm not saying that bipolar isn't real. It absolutely is, but I was not bipolar. Mm -hmm. So I was being given the drug that was for even a mental disorder I didn't have. And then to be pulled from it and have to figure out what I was going to do because I had struggled with suicidal ideation with such depression. I could barely get out of bed. I mean, I, I had the deepest, darkest depression you can possibly have. It really is only the grace of God that there are many times that I didn't choose to take my life. And and I had lots to live for. I had a wonderful marriage. I had children. There were beautiful things, but I also had massive things going on internally for me, right? And so I share this with people of, especially those that are really afraid to go off medication, of me even saying, I say the same thing that you do. I'm not telling you you have to go off your medicine. Like that would be so dumb of me to just say, you know what? You don't need that medicine because there was a time in my life I did need the medicine because I didn't know the other other steps, right? I didn't know the other things that I could do that could change what was happening physiologically in me. Mm-hmm. And so for me, story is such an important piece of the puzzle. And as I have clients that begin to have freedom and maybe step off of a medication or drop down on a medication to share their story, to listen to podcasts like this where people talk about story it's just so impactful. People start to see, okay, this is someone that's not just saying, I know this stuff in theory, right? Like, and I've learned all this, you know, in my training, this was real life experience. This was your real life experience. (laughs) And that is what changes people's minds. And that's why it's so important to be able to be willing to be vulnerable about what you've walked through and be really honest, you know, especially in the mental health field, because (laughs) In the mental took the health words realm, out of my mouth, yes. <laughs> yeah, like people are really willing to talk about like, I was diagnosed with cancer and I had an autoimmune disease. And, and those are like really vulnerable things as well. But there's something about the mental health piece, right? People are really scared to say, I wanted to kill myself, right? People are really scared to say, I, I thought that I had absolutely no worth and I wanted to do nothing all day long. I could have sat in my bed and ate Taco Bell for every meal and watch TV and never moved. That's a really, really 
hard, scary thing to talk about because it feels like you're lazy. And like, if you would just get out of bed, you'd probably be okay. It's all these things that, you know, narratives, maybe people have said them to you, but maybe it's just narratives we've told ourselves, Hmm. you know? And so I think the more people speak up about truly what mental health has looked like for them and the darkest parts of it and the freedom that there can be, it's going to help more and more people pull out and, and ask for that help. Yeah. I think it was, that was so crazy. I, I was literally thinking that exact thing. <laughs> I'm like, well, oh, wait it. a second. Yeah. Because um, there is this, like when you have like, an, again, an autoimmune disease and I'm someone who's dealt with that myself and my family has, mm-hmm. if you found a doctor on like, like, like an alternative doctor on YouTube that was talking about it, I don't think I would, nor can I ever imagine someone being like, well, they've never dealt with this autoimmune disease. So like, why can they help me? It's like, if they just make logical sense, you kind of follow it versus if someone starts talking about, again, bipolar, depression, whatever, and they haven't dealt with it. I think there is a larger audience to that that would say, well, I don't care if they're a doctor, maybe not so consciously, but like, I don't care that they're a doctor. You don't know my story. You don't know what I've been through. And I think there's a couple aspects there because it's the unique nature of everyone's mental health issues. Like psoriasis, I'm I'm sure people experience it uniquely, but generally speaking, psoriasis is psoriasis. It kind of looks the same. We can can objectify it and say, oh, that's what that is versus depression for someone might look like extreme substance abuse. For others, it might look like sitting in bed all day and not being able to get out and eating Taco Bell all the time. For others, it might be extreme suicidal ideations. For others, it might be not sleeping at all and possibly even sleeping for 12 hours a day. There is, it's hard to measure. Well, there's Mm -hmm. technically nothing to measure in a sense, right? You're not getting a lab test for this per se. And I mean, functional labs can obviously correlate with it, but it's not diagnostic in the sense that like, yeah. Something for autoimmune would be okay. You either have antibodies to your thyroid mm-hmm. or you do not have elevated antibodies don't. to your thyroid. Yeah. Period. Um, and so I think it's it's those nuances there that lead to that idea that I mean, there's a saying facts tell, stories sell. And I think it is extraordinarily true here that the stories are really selling, and it's not selling our coaching. I'm saying selling the no. idea that, oh, maybe this person can help me. Because yeah. it's amazing to think about. I mean, I know FDN is a great qualification. The average Joe does not know that. I don't have any degrees that are relevant to this. And no one asks me, where did you go to college to learn about this? No one. It is because I can just talk about it and I have that story mixed in with the information. It's almost scary that no one asks. <laughs> but you know, at the same time, it's it's remarkable that as a younger man, no one is questioning me and just saying, okay, cool. Can you help me? How, how, how do I work with you or whatever? It's like, okay. Um, again, bittersweet. You know, I don't think people should have to go to someone that doesn't even have a damn degree to get this fixed. I'd love it if it was a part of the medical system. But at the yeah. same time, it it's, shows the power of these stories. It does. Yeah. I also think that, you know, it, that is an interesting piece of, you know, this world that we're in. Um, you know, from someone that has experienced going to a lot of doctors and then not being able to give me any answers and feeling mm-hmm. really left in the dark. I think people are starting to wake up to that. Of This does not negate the fact that doctors aren't necessary. Like I've had my life saved by a doctor without emergency surgery. I would have died two different times. So I'm very grateful for the training that they chose to get, but it, sh- it points to this idea that people think that doctors should solve everything, right? And that's just not the truth. That's not what they were trained to do. They weren't trained to solve everything. They weren't trained to solve everything that goes wrong in the body. They were trained on a very specific portion of the body that they have 
you know, quite a bit of knowledge on that they can fix when it has 100% broken, right? And so as FDNs, um, I actually love it that more people are going, you know what, I don't really care where you've come from. I want to see that you understand me, that you can navigate in the world that I've been in, that you've, you've experienced some similar things, and that you yourself have experienced this transformation, right? Experiencing the transformation yourself is so impactful to lead yeah. someone else down that. Now, I think you need some level of training. That's what FDN does. FDN is so powerful and such an amazing training system. But people aren't asking, well, tell me what you learned during that process because right, they've right. experienced this so many times of people that they can give them all these degree you know, listings and where they went to school for them to not be able to do anything to make the person, the patient sitting in front of them feel any better. Yeah. Um, so it is this, I, I'm excited to see the tide turn in all these areas, even in mental health, you know, that we're no longer going, go see a psychiatrist because they'll give you medication. Again, you and I have talked about this, like not all medicine's bad, but that's not the answer, right? The answer is let's figure out how to go deeper than that and wider than looking at through a scope like this, you know, this little sliver right. of life. So. Well, and that one, yeah, you think, I, I would think everyone can agree with this universally. I mean, I, I know no one's deficient in Zoloft. So at, at the very least we could start <laughs> there and say, okay, just because I'm not deficient in something doesn't mean it's not helping me. But at right. the same time, if it is true that I can't be deficient in it, then perhaps there is something something else here. And, you know, there's extreme situations, outlier situations that I, I can't, fairly speak on. I, I had a friend who passed away from a drug overdose and the mm. abuse that was had in his household is mm. so incomprehensible to me mm-hmm. that I, I don't know. Maybe that person is better off on or would have been better off on a lifelong medication. I'm not mm. sure. I'm yeah. open to it. But usually between the two extremes of, hey, because there's a lot of people like this. Hey, I feel like I had a good life and I have these symptoms versus, okay, it is. You couldn't even make this shit up in a movie. Well, I've never cursed yeah. on this podcast, I don't think. You couldn't even make this stuff up in a <laughs> movie. You really got me going. I bring it <laughs> um, up. Yeah. <laughs> Type A. <laughs> but that that's, yeah, I curse every other word in person. That's the funny part. But that other side of the spectrum where it's so extreme that it's obvious why this person is dealing with these symptoms. Some Everyone usually falls in between here. And most of those people, yeah, it's like, all right, medication for a time. And then let's dig deeper. And that that is uh, where I would confidently call out the Western medicine system because I, I've experienced this myself. Okay. I don't even have a problem that you offered a 15-year-old that I was at the time, Xanax, I was having daily panic attacks. It was affecting my life greatly. Fine. I don't have a problem with the SSRI at 18. I was on house arrest because I was using substances and doing a lot of bad stuff. That probably would have been beneficial. But the idea that there was nothing else offered, there's no other questions asked. And that technically, especially, I mean, benzodiazepines are supposed to be short-term. And that this was posed as an indefinite solution. That's not only wrong in my opinion, that's wrong via training or by their training. Yeah. That is not how benzodiazepines yeah. are supposed to be used. And mm-hmm. it's getting, it's happening every day where people are on these for years because their primary physician, which another ridiculous point to this is their primary physician prescribing this stuff a lot, never told them to get my off it. So that's where, I, that's where I go against it. My OBGYN is who was prescribing it to me. I'm like, when I look back on that, I'm like... You delivered my baby, and that is what your role 
was supposed to be. When I came to you and said that I had postpartum and that I was not okay, that's not their job. That's not their job. And that's where there's this like real frustration that I feel you of just like, man, and then just no follow up whatsoever, right? Just like your conversation and just keep going. Left the practice, moved out of state. I moved out of state and just like would continue to call and get prescriptions refilled. 10 years, 10 years wow. that I did that. Wow. And I I mean, now I, I remember when I used to tell these stories, like some people, especially on like my Facebook, because I talk about it kind of a little bit when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And a lot of us were like 18, 19, my friends. Some people didn't believe this. And now I, right. I don't get those comments as much anymore. Like most no. people have seen this in a family member or experienced it. We're like, mm-hmm. still to this day, I mean, these things are handed out like candy. My, my type mm-hmm. two diabetic grandma, I mean, she can go get Oxycontin. Like it's nothing. It's nothing. And there's no severe injury that led to this. I mean, she has knee pain. And I'm not lessening the pain, of course, but I mean, this has been years. She is an addict to Oxycontin because of this. I mean, you know, we could go, that's again, that's part three, right? I know we could just, that's our part three. We could go all the way down the road of all the medication and- And still, I want to be respectful though, because a few extra minutes isn't going to kill us here. I want to make sure because I I took my opportunity to jump on the Enneagram thing. And I know it is, ties into the or does tie into the mental health thing but is there anything else that you wanted to make sure we talked about today did you want to talk about the labs and how they integrate um especially i'd love to know where people can find you and just remind them like who you help and stuff so that's like basically three questions so there you go yeah there you go um no i you know i think we've touched a lot on how different labs really help i mean the gi map is my favorite when it comes to this mental health conversation because Mm -hmm. the gut is just so um integral in really making sure your neurotransmitters are functioning, all all of that. But I think, um, yeah, I just love people to know Megaphone Functional Health. That's where they can contact me. I also love talking with people about the Enneagram. So if you're um, a fellow practitioner, absolutely reach out because um, I love the training that I've received. I have so many books that are so helpful. And um, when we were supposed to have a conference um, last year, I was going to be presenting on how FDNs can integrate this into their practice, but we didn't have one. So let's hope we get another conference going soon. Um, but I'd love to give you more info on how to just really use something like this in your practice and see people really flourish. Cool. And Renee, I've asked you the signature question before, so I'm not going to repeat that. But I, I anything, and you don't have to, I could even edit this part out if nothing comes out, but do you feel inspired to give any piece of advice, maybe specifically to those suffering with mental health right now, maybe some final last words for the podcast today? I think anyone suffering with mental health issues, um, being willing to be honest about what that looks like, be honest with someone that you feel safe with and, and seek out the help with someone alongside you. I think mental health really is something that you've got to have someone that's going to be your cheerleader in it and going to help you, um, navigate through it because some of it can feel so dark and you can feel so foggy, right? When you're trying to figure it all out. And so, um, find someone safe, talk to them and try and find, you know, um, a practitioner that can really get to the root of things and a great counselor that can help you deal with some of the, the root issues. Okay, friends, that'll do it for today's episode with Renee Bergman. I hope you guys enjoyed that one as much as I enjoyed recording it. I love when there is rapport already and you just go back and forth with the guest because sometimes you don't even need to really understand the topic that the two people are discussing. 
for it to be interesting because, again, I said this in the beginning, there is something, in my opinion, very contagious about passionate people. I hope you guys like this one. With that all said, if you like the information that we're sharing, please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple and or Spotify. If you guys would be so kind as to do that, we would love you even more than we already do. I will talk to you guys again soon. We'll be back with another interview. But until then, please take care.